Chapter Twenty Two of The Quirt by B. M. Bower. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Two. Yak, I lick you good if you bark. Swan cooked himself a hasty meal while he studied the various possibilities of the case and waited for further word from headquarters. He wanted to be sure that help had started and to be able to estimate within an hour or two the probable time of its arrival before he left the wireless. Jack, he fed, and left on watch outside the cabin so that he could, without risk, keep open the door to the dugout. His instrument was not a large one, and the dugout door was thick, as a precaution against discovery if he should be called when some visitor chanced to be in the cabin. Not often did a man ride that way, though occasionally someone stopped for a meal if he knew that the cabin was there and had ever tasted Swan's sourdough biscuits. His aerial was cleverly camouflaged between the two pine trees, and he had no fear of discovery there. Jack was a faithful guardian and would give warning if anyone approached the place. Swan could therefore give his whole attention to the business at hand. He was not yet supplied with evidence enough to warrant arresting Moorfield and Hawkins, but he hoped to get it when the real crisis came. They could not have known of Val Woodruff's intentions toward Lorraine, else they would have kept themselves in the background and would not have risked the failure of their own plan. On the other hand, Al must have been wholly ignorant of Warfield's scheme to try and prove Lorraine crazy. It looked to Swan very much like a muddling of the sawtooth affairs through over-anxiety to avoid trouble. They were afraid of what Lorraine knew. They wanted to eliminate her and they had made the blunder of working independently to that end. Lone's anxiety he did not even consider. He believed that Lone would be equal to any immediate emergency and would do whatever the circumstances seemed to require of him. Warfield counted him a sawtooth man. Al Woodruff, if the four men met unexpectedly, would also take it for granted that he was one of them. They would probably talk to Lone without reserve. Swan counted on that, whereas, if he were present, they would be on their guard, at least. Swan's plan was to wait at the cabin until he knew the deputies were headed toward the pass. Then, with Jack, it would be a simple matter to follow Warfield to where he overtook Al, supposing he did overtake him. If he did not, then Swan meant to be present when the meeting occurred. The dog would trail Al anywhere, since the scent would be less than twenty-four hours old. Swan would locate Warfield and lead him straight to Al Woodruff, and then make his arrests. But he wanted to have the deputies there. At dusk, he got his call. He learned that four picked men had started for the pass, and that they would reach the divide by daybreak. Others were on their way to intercept Al Woodruff if he crossed before then. It was all that Swan could have hoped for, more than he had dared to expect on such short notice. He notified the operator that he would not be there to receive anything else until he returned to report that he had got his men. Don't count your chickens till they're hatched, came facetiously out of the blue. By golly, I can hear them holler in the shell, Swan sent back, grinning to himself, as he rattled the key. That irrigation graft is killed now. You tell the boss Swan says so. He's right. The way to catch a fox is to watch his den. 
He switched off the current, closed the case, and went out, making sure that the cupboard camouflage door looked perfectly innocent on the outside. With a bannock stuffed into one pocket, a chunk of bacon in the other, he left the cabin and swung off again in that long, tireless stride of his, Jack following contentedly at his heels. At the farther end of Skyline Meadow, he stopped, took a tough leather leash from his pocket, and fastened it to Jack's collar. We don't go running to paw nobody's stomach and say, wow, wow, here we are back again, he told the dog, pulling its ears affectionately. Maybe we get shot or something like that. We trail, and we keep our mouth still, Yak. One bark, and I lick you good. Jack flashed out a pink tongue and licked his master's chin to show how little he was worried over the threat, and went racing along at the end of the leash, taking Swan's trail and his own back to where they had climbed out of the canyon. At the bottom, Swan spoke to the dog in an undertone and Jack obediently started up the canyon on the trail of the five horses who had passed that way since noon. It was starlight now, and Swan did not hurry. He was taking it for granted that Warfield and Hawkins would stop when it became too dark to follow the hoofprints, and without Jack to show them the way, they would perforce remain where they were until daybreak. They would do that, he reasoned, if they were sincere in wanting to overtake Lorraine and in their ignorance that they were also following Al Woodruff. And try as he would, he could not see the object of so foolish a plan as this abduction carried out in collusion with two men of unknown sentiments in the party. They had shown no suspicion of Al's part in the affair, and Swan grinned when he thought of the mutual surprise when they met. He was not disappointed. They reached Timberline, following the seldom-used trail that wound over the divide to Bear Top Pass, and so, by a difficult route which he did not believe Al would attempt after dark, to the country beyond the mountain. Where dark overtook them, they stopped in a sheltered nook to wait, just as Swan had expected they would. They were close to the trail, where no one could pass without their knowledge. In the belief that it was only Lorraine they were following, and that she would be frightened and would come to the cheer of a campfire, they had a fine, inviting blaze. Swan made his way as close as he dared, without being discovered, and sat down to wait. He could see nothing of the men until Lone appeared and fed the flames more wood, and sat down where the light shone on his face. Swan grinned again. Warfield had probably decided that Lorraine would be less afraid of Lone than of them, and had ordered him into the firelight as a sort of decoy. And Lone, knowing that Al Woodruff might be within shooting distance, was probably much more uncomfortable than he looked. He sat with his legs crossed in true range fashion, and stared into the fire while he smoked. He was a fair mark for an enemy who might be lurking out there in the dark, but he gave no sign that he realized the danger of his position. Neither did he wear any air of expectancy. Warfield and Hawkins might wait and listen and hope that Lorraine, wide-eyed and weary, would steal up to the warmth of the fire, but not alone. Swan, sitting on a rotting log, became uneasy at the fine target which Lone made by the fire and drew Al Woodruff's bandana from his pocket. He held it to Jack's nose and whispered, you find him, Yak, and I lick you good if you bark. Jack sniffed, dropped his nose to the ground, and began tugging at the leash, 
Swan got up and, moving stealthily, followed the dog. End of chapter 22 Recording by Tom Penn